You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. We are recording this uh, right before the usual, quote-unquote, Wednesday afternoon football game between the Ravens and the Steelers. So we are not going to spend too much time on waivers today as uh, there's honestly not that much to talk about. A couple of injury replacements, but no one's super exciting. But then we're going to get into get a little metacognitive and get into uh, to take a journey through ADP from our Apex Leagues. And we're going to look at some hits and misses, possibly uh, what loose strategies may have worked, and do some reflection and see what we can learn for the future. So hopefully we had a good Thanksgiving, a happy week, basically 12 and a half right now. And why don't we just jump right in with the waivers? Mike's going to take us through them real quick. Mike, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, so there's not a whole lot in terms of waivers. I think it's mainly prioritizing the running backs that may or may not be impacted by injuries. With Josh Jacobs' rolled ankle, it's kind of uncertain how healthy he'll be. So that means that Devontae Booker becomes slightly interesting and somebody to watch this week, perhaps pick up and watch the injury reports. There's also Benny Snell. We don't know how he'll split with McFarland tonight. We also don't know when exactly James Conner will be back from his COVID designation. So that's another player to watch that is still available in some leagues. DeAndre Washington looks to have stolen the job in Miami from Matt Breida. The question is, are Ahmed or Gaskin returning this week? If they are not, then DeAndre Washington becomes a low-end running back two or flex play. Also, Ido Smith looks like he may have stolen the job a little bit from Brian Hill. Uh, and if Gurley, who I believe practiced today and should be back, if he happens to miss another game, maybe Ido Smith becomes interesting. At wide receiver, Denzel Mims, we've talked about on the podcast how we like. Obviously, he's a good wide receiver in a very good wide receiver class, and he becomes interesting. He kind of had a pseudo breakout game, so he remains somebody to watch or grab. Gabriel Davis is seeing increased playing time. Um, with John Brown out and he remains interesting and our boy Will Fuller unfortunately is now suspended for the rest of the year and the week one of the 2021 season so Kiki Cootie is somebody that was kind of a desperation wide receiver for last week maybe he jumps up to like a low end wide receiver three it remains to be seen how that plays out but if you're desperate for a tight end you could also grab Jordan Aikens who they talked about playing out of the slot maybe a little bit more with Will Fuller gone. So maybe he gets a few more targets. I mean, the targets are going to have to go somewhere uh, for the Texans with Will Fuller out. It will be the Brandon Cook show, but who is going to receive those targets behind him? And then other guys to watch are Ertz was rumored to maybe return last week. Now it looks like he'll probably return this week. If he's on your free agent wire, maybe he's interesting, although it's hard to get excited about any Eagles these days. And then news recently broke about George Kittle. I think the most op- optimistic return date would be week 15. And then he would also be there for week 16. He's available on some free agent wires and potentially you could grab him. Yeah, I wasn't aware Matt Breida had something that could be stolen from him with DeAndre <laughs> Washington, but <clears throat> Devontae Booker could be interesting. Uh, I kind of wrote him off, but he looks good in a limited role. 
the Kittle pickup is interesting because it could be, you know, if you have had a dominant year and you've drafted some of the players we're going to talk about here soon, then maybe you can stash him on your bench or IR. If you think you, uh, maybe you have a buy in week 14 and you don't need the roster spots. So that would be uh, not a terrible idea as well. But yeah, not too exciting. Sucks to see Will Fuller go down. That was one of the more exciting things going on this year. Just proving once again, we can't have anything nice in 2020. We'll see if Brandon Cook can fill in the shoes. So um, other than that, as we await this Wednesday afternoon game that kicks off here in about three hours, um, why don't we kind of take a look at ADP and see where we went right, where we went wrong, and what lessons we can learn. The first thing that jumps out to me is, unless you took Alvin Kamara or Derrick Henry, you having a top five pick really didn't help you out this year. Um which I think is almost all injury-based. You know, you have McCaffrey getting hurt, obviously Saquon. The Dak injury to Zeke totally torpedoed him. And Michael Thomas with the ankle. Um, even Kamara recently. I mean, how good do you feel about owning Alvin Kamara with Taysom Hill at quarterback? It's been, it's been really gross. I, I think there are three clear MVPs of the first round. Tell me if you guys disagree. It's got to be Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Devontae Adams, despite missing some time. Um, what did you guys get out of the first round this year? I mean, we have people like Joe Mixon and Miles Sanders and the ADP this year that we're using. Um, so I, I think that there's it's really hit or miss here. And this is something that we usually don't see. For the most part, first round picks are more stable. But when we see massive injuries or guys like Saquon Barkley go down or Christian McCaffrey and even Michael Thomas missing most of the year, that's obviously going to swing a lot of these win rates. But um, really, there's a, there's four guys that really have done something for you. Um, it's Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Devontae Adams there in the first round, which is like crazy to think that those are really the only guys helping you out. And I guess to an extent, um, if you drafted later um, in the process, Clyde Edwards Hilaire also had somewhat of a solid win rate as well. So it's just crazy to see the um, disparity between either A, if you hit one of these guys, your team is probably, if it's not great, it's probably at least doing much better than the teams who completely whiffed on their first round picks. Yeah. And you know, in some ways, it might be better to have taken Saquon Barkley and maybe you took an Antonio Gibson later in that than taking someone like Miles Sanders and that you've stuck Miles Sanders in your lineup every week and he's gotten you like seven points, right? Yeah. Or like Whereas Ezekiel, you, had, you know? Yeah. Or if you had someone like Saquon, you know, he's out for the year, but you're replacing him with maybe someone who's been more productive every week rather than saying, oh, I'm begrudgingly starting Miles Sanders or, Sa- or uh, Ezekiel Elliott again, you know? So. Mm-hmm. That, or or even Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You know, the first round has been kind of a dumpster fire. It, it says a lot when Devontae Adams, who probably is one of the highest win rates, um, has been out for like three or four games, right? So that says a lot about about the first round. There are some guys who have absolutely killed you. You know, if you took – how are you looking if you took Kenyon Drake at the end of the first? Yeah, I mean, during draft season, there was a huge disagreement between what you should be doing at the end of the second round, whether if you were a running back guy, I believe the argument was you're not going to be able to grab a similar running back later in the draft. So this is the time to get your running back, whether it was CEH, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb. And 
it's obvious when looking at the ADP that there's just a huge difference in value, whether you dra- grabbed one of those guys or you grabbed a Devonte Adams. Um, Julio hasn't really hit as a result of injury, but Tyreek Hill certainly has. DeAndre Hopkins has had some big moments. So when we're talking about that turn area, the back half of the first, the beginning of the second, you're obviously in better shape if you went wide receiver heavy rather, rather than running back heavy. I mean, in the first two rounds, I think there's a clear MVP, and I think it has to be Travis Kelsey. You guys agree? hundred uh, percent with you. Yeah, I mean, it, he's just a huge weekly advantage. I don't know if it would be the same way if Kittle was healthy and maybe if Mark Andrews was coming through, but the lack of other options at tight end and how much he scores per week in comparison with the field is just a huge advantage for any fantasy team that he's on. You know, something else that looking at this ADP now, has that is just so obvious is what a dumpster fire the third round was this year. Um, and I feel like we were really excited about, you know, you could take one of Godwin, Galladay, Evans, A-Rob, DJ Moore, Juju, and you're happy whichever one fell to you. But it turns out that, you know, having a first or second or third pick, if you missed on Travis, if you didn't, if Travis Kelsey didn't fall to you or Hopkins didn't fall to the end of the second, what if you started McCaffrey, Galladay, and Chris Godwin? Where are your teams? Yeah, and I think most experts were happy to confirm that you, this is the round where you take a, a wide receiver. You take DJ Moore, you take Juju, you take Odell, whoever, and those are all the names that you read off. But if you went running back, it was even uglier. Uh, Gurley, Leonard Fournette, Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, uh, Jonathan Taylor, David Johnson, Melvin Gordon going into the fourth round, and then there's kind of a hit with Chris Carson, but he's missed a lot of playing time. So whether you went wide receiver or running back, it was very difficult. And if you went tight end uh, after Kittle and Kelsey, it was Mark Andrews who hasn't really been a hit. So the third round kind of ended up being a miss. And even if you grab somebody like Mike Evans, who a lot of people are unhappy with owning, he's really a hit in this area with Adam Thielen being the real only um, guy who really panned out. Yeah. And the crazy thing is like the fact that we always advocate against like drafting a quarterback early, but a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you know, honestly, has probably been one of the best picks within this range. Obviously, Lamar Jackson has been one of the worst picks, but Patrick Mahomes has been steady and his win rate is actually higher than what the average is for this position. I think it says um, a lot about probably the players around that ADP, the fact that his win rate is that high, but he's also been balling out and um, performing very well for fantasy teams. Yeah. And when you, it looked like the fourth round. Now we're going to get to fourth round in a second, but uh, I think it's important. I, I forget who wrote this article, but it was. It's it's important to think about. Do you guys remember who wrote the article? The third through sixth round running backs you always want to avoid, and I always thought that was kind of arbitrary, but it really played out this year. I mean, you can even include the second round in there. I mean, once you get from maybe Gurley has helped you and like in a relatively ugly way, but he's still somehow a top running back in the early third. Between Gurley and the end of the fifth round, which was Kareem Hunt, who has helped some teams, here's who you could have taken. Leonard Fournette, who has been a nothing. Le'Veon Bell, been less than nothing. James Conner, hit or miss at best. Same with Jonathan Taylor. David Johnson, I mean, after week one, what's he done? Melvin Gordon has had a couple games here and there. Mostert's been a nothing because of injury. Ingram's been a nothing. Singletary's been a nothing. Um, David Montgomery has, you know, no one's been happy starting him. And then it's Cam Akers and then 
and then Kareem Hunt. So I think the zero RBers in many ways were vindicated by this, not necessarily because you hit on every wide receiver position, but because the running back options were far, far worse. And also, while you were taking, uh, if you started out like robust running back, when Antonio Gibson was going, when DeAndre Swift was going, when Ronald Jones was going, you were busy taking Julian Edelman and uh, and Marvin Jones instead of hitting on those wide res- instead of missing those uh, dangerous running backs and hitting on guys like Antonio Gibson. So I thought that was an interesting observation as well. Yeah, I thought it's very interesting that. There was really this huge wide receiver tier, and it was one of those reasons that people didn't like zero running back, is I can get my running backs early, and then I can hit this huge wide receiver tier. But it looks like the later wide receivers in kind of the end of round four in round five have really outplayed these third round wide receivers like Galladay, who's missed time with injury. A-Rob hasn't been as fantastic as we would have liked. DJ Moore, Juju, Evans, Amari Cooper. Uh, Cooper Cup, and then you get into the guys who are drafted later: Calvin Ridley, AJ oh, Brown. Yeah. This is the sweet um, spot. Ro- Robert Woods wasn't as much of a hit. Lockett has hit at times. Chark was a miss, but Terry McLaurin, Keenan Allen, and Metcalf were all fifth oh, round a picks. Maybe Sutton would have played out too. Uh, the eleventh pick of the fifth round, Stephon Diggs, maybe the best wide receiver pick. Ugh, so it, it shows that. Despite this ADP being consensus and so many people agreeing with it, it doesn't always play out that way. And the third round wide receivers aren't always better than the fifth round wide receivers. No. And uh, that's one reason why I think we're advocates of a zero RB approach is because even if you missed in the third round, right, if you came back in the fourth round with Keenan and Metcalf, you know, a a team like, uh, like I said, that started McCaffrey, Galladay and Godwin. Their season might have been saved if they came in the end of the fourth and fifth with uh, a two of AJ Brown, Keenan Allen, DK Metcalf, and then maybe took a Tyler Boyd for early on in the year and Ronald Jones after that. Though those teams are probably looking better than a lot of the Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, or um, Kenyon Drake teams that that we that we're mentioning. So I think this year was a definite win for zero RB. I, I think it's a. Uh, uh, I don't even know if it was the worst possible scenario for the robust running backers because a ton of the what, what we we advocated for a modified zero running back approach, right? And that's take a stud running back in the top half of the first round if you can. If not, you go zero RB. And I would rather have, you know, uh, some of the guys you could get at the end of the uh, fourth, beginning of the fifth even if you took McCaffrey or Saquon, rather than at the end of the first round going Miles Sanders and Joe Mixon. You know, I still think those teams from the former are doing much, much better. And once again, wide receivers are easier to predict. And if you, especially in a league like Apex, where you can start four of them, it is just so much safer to wrote, to take to have faith in the uncertainty and the fragility of the running back position take more of them later yeah it's it's interesting if you look at round six it looks like the best picks were deandre swift tyler boyd uh and darren waller who's really been that other hit at tight end outside of kelsey with kittle injury and and rojo um yeah and rojo really came through and then 
Although his week-to-week certainty, That's uncertainty true. remains up in the air. I think it um, says a lot when he's fourth in the league in rushing yards and we don't know if he's yeah. a good pick or not. And then there's really some bad swings and misses in round seven, but there's also some hits. I mean, Edelman is a swing and a miss. Kyler Murray is a big hit and a league winner. Um, Will Fuller, the fourth pick in the seventh, looked like a really, really good pick. Uh, Cooks went the pick after him. Then there's J.K. Dobbins, who may still be kind of a playoff winner. Uh, Deontay Johnson is a very nice pick, followed by Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen. Um, so there's certainly some misses, but if you went with a Will Fuller or a Deontay Johnson, those were really nice picks there. Kyler Murray, really nice pick, even though you don't always want to take your quarterback in round seven. If you're able to get somebody with that type of rushing production, then there's no doubt that it plays off. It pays off. Dalton, what do, what do Darren Waller's win rates look like? Because I don't even know if he's been that huge of an advantage to have. I mean, I don't think he yeah. has, what, two or three games over 50 yards? So we talk about him as the you know, consensus tight end too, but how much does that even matter? You could have taken someone like Gronk, right? And he's been almost as good after the first couple weeks. So I can't, I can't, I can't see a worse year for tight ends than this. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because Darren Waller actually has the sixth highest win rate among tight ends. And he's currently the second overall tight end and a guy like Gronk and a guy like Hawkinson are just are up there with them. And a guy like Jono Smith, like we're talking about Jono Smith, who hasn't had a good game in weeks is the third highest win rate tight end. And Logan Thomas, who is being undrafted as a second highest win rate. Like that just shows you how just beat down this tight end position was, especially when George Kittle went down. And um, it just shows how like how dominant a guy like Travis Kelsey is. Like just going back to that. Like none of these guys really helped you. Like you're just you're just hoping and praying for four catches for 40 yards at this point and maybe a touchdown. Like that's, that's really how, how it's become. And um, really avoiding all these tight ends in this range has really probably done a good thing. Uh, probably even better to pivot towards some of these wide receivers and running backs and even quarterbacks. Late round tight end has worked only for purely because you were better off spending those picks at other positions and just taking a seven points a week at tight end from a Hawkinson, right? Although Hawkinson's actually been pretty good, but and I don't think that's how we thought it would pan out. You know, I think uh, most of our positions were you either take uh, you take one of the top few guys, if you can, you know, Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle, and then maybe Ertz. And from then on, maybe if Hunter Henry or Engram falls to you in the eighth, ninth round, you take them. But after that, it's Fanton Hawkinson, and then you pray with Irv Smith or Johnny Smith. Yeah, I think the thesis from most people was tight ends deeper than ever when that's just, it hasn't been the case this year. Right. And it was, it's actually been the, the, the opposite. In a way, it was deep because uh, everyone's getting similar production no matter who you drafted besides, uh, besides for Travis Kelsey. And when we get into the ninth round, though, I think is when we have two of the MVP picks as well. We have Antonio Gibson and Justin Jefferson. Uh, tell me about the win rates for Justin Jefferson who, when you got him in the ninth, 10th round or you know, even undrafted uh, for those who drafted quite early on. I don't know why you skipped over the last pick of the eighth round, MVP Tyler Higby. <laughs> God, but how much of a production did you get from that one game where he caught three touchdowns and then we thought he was, uh, we thought he was set for the rest of the year. Sorry, Tyler Higby. I think he scored more points that one game than he has the entire year combined. That that wouldn't shock yeah. me. 
but yeah uh, i mean it looks like antonio gibson in round nine is just a huge pick for anybody i mean if you drafted running backs early not that many of them produced so antonio gibson's really starting on any team and when you're able to draft that in the ninth round when the two picks before according to adp were jerry judy and emmanuel sanders the two picks after were philip Lindsay and golden tate and it's really a diamond in the rough in round nine whether you're grabbing antonio gibson or justin jefferson yeah, 100%. And just look at their win rates, too. It's obviously going to be adjusted after this week. But right now, Justin Jefferson is sitting uh, second overall win rate right behind Chase Claypool. And I would bet that after Chase or Justin Jefferson's two-touchdown week that he would actually jump up into that number one spot. Um, and then if we're looking at running backs, too, like Antonio Gibson right now is currently uh, has a 15.9% win rate, which would be fourth amongst running backs. And after his big game gets updated, it wouldn't be shocking to see him jump up there alongside guys like Kamara Robinson and Dalvin Cook as just being absolute league winners and massive hits for your team. And when we move on to the 10th through 11th and 12th round, tell me which guys you really want on your team from that range. That was uh, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, Noah Fant could have played out, uh, panned out a little bit better with better quarterback play. So I think that that was pretty good process. And still, even with how his season has gone, Fant has given you, at least the early half of the season, gave you some really nice uh, tight end floor and provided you with serviceable, I don't know, mid tight end one play. So I don't see Fant as a bad pick. And then Ayuk, really, I mean, you look at a lot of this and these rookie wide receivers were clearly undervalued and provided a lot of benefit. And Ayuk's really... One of the few guys in round 11 outside of Fant that panned out at all, that really gave you any usable weeks. Um, The Steelers defense actually being one of the others that actually gave you usable weeks, as laughable as that is. And then you move down in round 12, you see Hawkinson goes, which was obviously a good pick. uh, And Chase Edmonds really gave you some usable um, running back weeks. Maybe I'm thinking through the lens of a zero running back drafter, but Uh, just having those predictable weeks from a player that you can put in and you get some reliable production from at this point in the draft is valuable. And Edmonds did that for you. And a guy in round 13, there's a guy in Carolina named Robbie Anderson. We were drafting who Robbie Anderson was supposed to be in the third round. (laughs) uh, DJ Moore, we still love you. We know it's the coaching staff, but Anderson is clearly a guy that they had plans for, and he really has panned out. Uh, he's He's a really good player. So, yeah, definitely when you look at round 13 ADP, he was the guy. Him, Goddard have been okay. Harris has been hit or miss. Same with Johnny Smith. What do you guys think of Alan Lazard going forward? I just don't think he's going to have reliable week-to-week production. The issue is Devontae Adams is the guy there. And then behind him, if the Packers are going to have a lot of passing production, yeah, some can go to Lazard, some will go to Tanyan. Maybe MVS has a long touchdown. Aaron Jones, we know. And Jamal Williams can also play as receivers. So I think that it's going to be hit or miss because behind Devontae Adams, um, nobody's really going to eat regularly except Aaron Jones. Uh, so I, I see it as if they're going to have a lot of produ- passing production, maybe there's a chance that he hits. But during a normal week, it's going to be hard to rely on him. Yeah. And as much as I like the guy, he's a stud. In, in going further in the draft, it almost seems like 
there aren't too many diff. Well, there's a couple difference makers. We're gonna go over here in a second, but besides for, the, and I'm looking at the rest of the draft here. Curtis Samuel in the 14th round has been pretty good for a 14th round pick. Hines, Hines as well. Hines as well. Unfortunately, Paris Campbell got hurt. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the one that makes me sad. Right. That was arguably the best pick of that round. Paris Campbell, I I still believe was gonna have a difference making year. Um, and we'll see. I mean. I would advocate right now that I think in 2021 drafts, he'll be a guy that's undervalued. You know, he'll be forgotten about. There'll be some recency bias. And if he goes in a similar range, I still think that he's a potentially special player. And we don't really have to change. The good thing about Paris Campbell for next year is we don't really have to change his his projection because it it might even increase because we thought Hilton was still going to be the guy. Hilton, I mean, I loved watching T.Y. Hilton the past 10 years, but it's, it's time to say goodbye to his days as relevant producer. But it's going to be Pittman, and besides for Pittman, what's his real target competition? So I think Paris Campbell is a guy who we can get in a similar round next year who we're really going to like. Um, and then you kind of have to go. Burrow is helping you, and sometimes in the 16th round, Antonio Brown, but we can't even count him because he was yeah, dropped right. by every team, right? Yeah. T Higgins is a big one in round 17, though. T Higgins was the massive one that kind that's of what, really that's what I was going to. In round 17, T Higgins went off the board, and yeah. Just another one of, I mean, take out the rookie wide receivers and what were the real hits from yeah. in the, in the double-digit rounds, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that Cole Beasley is an interesting one, too, because before the season, making making an argument that Cole Beasley was going to rely on the pass-heavy nature of the Bills and Josh, Josh Allen to have fantasy value, I think would seem like a losing argument, but they changed their offense this offseason, and Beasley's really involved and is kind of, at this point with John Brown, out a reliable wide receiver three maybe yeah you know i i it'd it'd be interesting experiment to see if you had a team with uh you can insert two random running backs and then you have kelsey as the tight end and the all the wide receivers are staffed by rookie wide receivers where does that team rank in the standings you know my guess is first place yeah i mean with (laughs) higgins jefferson claypool uh and Kelsey, my, my guess is that you're pretty high up in the standings. Why don't we talk quickly about the quarterback position? Did we learn that? Would you say that, you know, our strategy, Mike and Dalton, um, has really been you wait until the 10th round to look at quarterbacks? Do you think there was any vindication for those guys who were saying, I'm not going to take Mahomes or Jackson, but... If I took Kyler or Russell Wilson or Dak, if he'd stay healthy, they would have been a real advantage to my team. Do you think there's merit to that argument? Yeah, I think that it really paid off taking Kyler Murray. And I think that although we've kind of seen a breakthrough with Russell Wilson in terms of doing it with his arm, I think that if you're going to advocate for taking one of those middle quarterbacks because you think that they'll be a top quarterback the following year, then you need that Konami code rushing value. And I, I think that Russell Wilson has done it just through passing, and that becomes a little bit more difficult to rely on. But Kyler is Kyler and Lamar Jackson, the last two years, we've seen just take the league by storm with their athletic ability rushing the ball. And I think that that's more, it's easier to bet on. When we didn't know that the Seahawks were going to go pass heavy, it became difficult to rely on. But if you believed in Kyler Murray's rushing ability and you thought that the Cardinals were going to be up-tempo, they have Hopkins, they'll be passing, they'll be moving the ball, uh, and Kyler's going to be running, then I think that that thesis uh, 
could have held water and clearly now that we've seen how the season has gone it clearly was the right way to go in fact i'm going to push back on you for a second there mike tell me besides for cam newton a few you know a few years back and even his was sporadic tell me a quarterback who has had league winning rushing production for two years in a row my, my point being that can we count on Kyle Murray to do this again next year you know Lamar Jackson. No, I think he'll, I think he'll be overvalued next year. I'm saying you have to bet on the initial year because I think once defenses catch on to it, um, you either are an MVP caliber caliber player who can do it with your arm or with your legs, and you can adjust and do whatever the defense dictates that you do, or. The defense, like I think that we saw Belichick do against the Cardinals, say, okay, Kyler, I know you can run. I'm going to drop everybody back into cur- uh, into coverage. I'm going to spy you, and you're going to have to beat us with your arm against difficult coverage where everybody's dropping back. And that was a great way to play against Kyler, and I think that the NFL has done the same with Lamar Jackson. Okay, we know you can run. You have to beat us with your arm. And I think betting on it after the NFL knows that guys are able to do it isn't the dominant strategy. I think it's you need to bet on it either in the rookie year or the sophomore year um, when a quarterback is comfortable. I mean, we've seen it with both of these guys doing it in their sophomore year uh, that once they catch up to the NFL game and they're able to show their athletic ability before the ADP catches up to them, that's the time to do it. Once everybody knows that they're able to rush and defensive coordinators are planning for it, drafting Kyler next year, you're going to have to draft him at his ceiling. And he's going to have to overcome how defensive coordinators are playing him with his arm and be able to do everything and be a Patrick Mahomes level player in order to pay off his likely, I don't know, second round ADP next season. And that's why Josh Allen's been so good, right? Is because he had all that rushing production, but this year he finally was able to put a lot of passing production together. So defensive coordinators were not able to really hone in on one strategy. And if you watch how this year, uh, how the Patriots treated Kyler Murray, or this year how the defenses have treated Lamar Jackson, they don't rush as many guys because you can avoid them. What they'll do is they'll place a lot of guys near the line of scrimmage and mirror him laterally and make him throw. And, you know, it's concerning if you're a Cardinals fan or uh, for the future if you say, we're going to double DeAndre Hopkins and make sure he doesn't beat us. We'll even triple team him. We'll bracket him and we'll put a safety over the top. And we're going to make sure you don't get past the line of scrimmage. If you want Christian Kirk or Andy Isabella to beat us or Dan Arnold, go for it. And I think that's really concerning. He's going to have to learn to, uh, to you know, I think Josh Allen would be his best case scenario in terms of just being a more consistent downfield threat. So it's an interesting catch-22 with quarterbacks. You know, they're only, uh, the running quarterbacks are only so valuable if you anticipate it in the initial year. Are there any guys we can think of who might be like that for next year? Justin Herbert, I think. So, like, I think, I think one thing that happened this year, at least that allowed – like some of these guys to really not only like pop, but like really give strong win rates for teams and really be carries for teams is also in the range they were going. They were going like right after where the drop off was and wide receiver talent. And that's when we start pivoting towards these quarterbacks. And we really start to see them hit. And I think if we're looking at like next year, we're going to see guys like Justin Herbert be undervalued in this term of range where we know that there's going to be a drop off in terms of wide receiver, running back talent and a guy like, 
Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson will be, you know, vaulted up draft boards because of how great their season was this year. Whereas you can get a guy like Justin Herbert next year, who's performed extremely well, been extremely efficient. People know he's a great quarterback, but like he's in a similar tier with these guys, but he's not going to be drafted as high because, you know, some people, A, they're worried about his rushing ability or B, they're just going to be drafting these guys too high to where there's other good players there. So I do think heading into next year, a guy like Justin Herbert can absolutely be that guy who can vault himself to a top three quarterback finish next year, but you're getting him at the price, you know, of a seventh, eighth round where we saw the guys like, you know, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson all go this year. Yeah, off of that, I'm very interested as well to see where Lamar Jackson goes. Obviously, he has like big name recognition and everybody's watched him play, but all of his owners and fantasy owners everywhere should note how poorly he's played and how bad his production is going to be or has been. And I think that it will be interesting to see how people bet on the bounce back and I think the Ravens need to get back to some of the things that he does well and get back to relying on his rushing production. And there is a chance that he ends up being a value if he falls far enough. I don't know how far he'll fall, but I'm very interested to see. Let's say we're redrafting today. Are you taking Lamar Jackson who falls into the eighth round? I think that it depends on the opportunity cost and the players that are available. So it's very difficult to say that without context. So probably not based on, I think that there will be, I mean, this year there were guys like Deontay Johnson and Will Fuller around that range that were very hard for me not to draft. And I think that based on what we've seen Lamar Jackson do this year, I'd have trouble avoiding those type of breakout receivers, but it depends what else is at the quarterback position later, depends where other people are going, but that's the kind of stuff that I want to see if he falls far enough. I mean, if we're talking about round eight, round nine, then yeah, it, it does get to the point where Lamar Jackson is one of those quarterbacks who can score 25 points per week, and there aren't that many of those guys. And if you're able to grab one of those guys and we get back to where we saw Lamar Jackson last year, even though I'll I'll publicly say that, I I think that last year will go down as Lamar Jackson's best year ever. I don't think we're getting back to where he was, but just including that in the range of potential outcomes, that's a player that you have to pay attention to if he's falling into round eight or later. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um do you think Mahomes has paid off at his ADP this year? Speaking of which, if if there's a if there's an argument to be made that you're gonna that early round quarterback, I'm gonna take Devil's Advocate. I am on the board in the early third, late fourth round, and I kind of have a crystal ball in terms of I have limited guys of ADP. Am I taking Juju, Odell, DJ Moore, Fournette, A. Rob, Gurley, Evans, Galladay, Godwin, Kittle, Lamar? Are you taking Mahomes out of all those guys? I mean, I'm not because I think that quarterback uh, quarterback production is replaceable. But obviously this year, there is a way that you could have made taking Patrick Mahomes work for sure. Uh, there were a lot of misses around him. Like we talked about, those fifth round and fourth round wide receivers were better than the third round wide receivers. You got your quarterback out of the way early. And let's say, I don't know, you took a Dalvin Cook. You came back with a... Travis Kelsey and you had Patrick Mahomes fall to you in the third there's no doubt that that's that's been an excellent start th- thus far and you were able in round four and round five to take wide receivers and if maybe you took a Tyler Boyd or 
a Will Fuller or a Deontay Johnson later, you could have had a really nice team. And one more thing that I wanted to touch on, it's not necessarily related to this point, but I think it's very important that people realize the value of late round picks. And a lot of people would look at this or they're at the end of their draft and they say, I don't care about round 16, 17, 18. I'm going to let it auto draft. But there were guys that weren't even drafted in the first 18 rounds. And Asher and I receive emails on a fairly significant basis that 18 rounds is too long for a draft and the player pool isn't large enough for free agents. And you look at this and James Washington, who maybe has paid off if he was a first round pick, was not selected in 18 rounds. Uh, James Robinson, you mean? James Robinson. Yeah, I'm sorry. James Robinson, um, who's maybe been arguably one of the best running backs in the league in Russia. Third in the league in rushing. Uh, If you took him 12th overall, it may have been a good pick. He went undrafted through 18 rounds. Chase Claypool, who has been remarkable, um, undrafted through 18 rounds. Justin Herbert, undrafted through 18 rounds. Yeah, he wasn't the starting quarterback to start the year, but there was a way to make value out of these picks. And let's say a super flex league. Herbert would have been an excellent pick in round 16 at this point. And we knew he was going to get playing time. So... There are values in your picks. Yeah, they may not be the most predictable picks, but guys like Sean Siegel were banging the table for Claypool based on his size and his ability. And even if you weren't a Claypool guy, it's there are guys that are worthy of selections in the late rounds who can pay off, who can be really valuable players. And there's always value in selecting um flyers potential breakout picks rather than logging off and saying i don't want to spend another 15 minutes in this draft room yeah 100 percent. to add on to that point i think like the fact that we once we get past these like later rounds where we know what we're getting out of these players i mean once you look at past like eight round or or nine like that's when we start taking these shots and i think it just reaffirms the point that we need to be Banking on upside here. And if we look at all the players we mentioned going on a round by round basis, the guys that we mentioned as hits and guys that we actually wanted on our teams and guys that are performing for us right now, a lot of them are the guys that had the upside, the guys that are the ones that are actually giving us this difference making weeks. Because if you're sitting here trying to draft like a Drew Brees for your team right now, how is that panning out for you? Like an Adrian Peterson is not doing much for your team, but a guy that you drafted, you know, later, like a, a for example, like a T Higgins, or you drafted um, a flyer on Justin Jefferson, or you drafted a flyer on Brandon Ayuk. Like these guys are all helping your team right now. Even Antonio Gibson, Zach Moss, like these guys are at least helping your team out right now and giving you that upside. And they're only getting better right now as the season goes on. Like these are the difference makers that we need to just really, really be honing on. And I think there's a very interesting question as to when we look at these breakouts and these picks that panned out, when we talk about a Deontay Johnson, an Antonio Gibson, a Justin Jefferson, we talk about league winners. Is there a trend in their age? I think kind of a microcosm this offseason was Lockett is such a good player. Metcalf is young. We haven't seen Metcalf do what Lockett has. Do you take this older guy who's done it before, who has this connection with Russell Wilson, or do you take the younger guy who's a little bit more volatile, maybe will be worse, but maybe he's so good that he'll be better. And the more that I look at these guys who broke out, who I would love to have on my team right now, many of them I do like an AJ Brown, like a Terry McLaurin, um, 
or those rookies who I didn't get as many of. Yeah, I took a lot of those rookie running backs in DeAndre Swift, in Dobbins, um, in Gibson, but I didn't take as many of the rookie wide receivers with Justin Jefferson type of guys. Um, It seems to be a trend where it's these younger guys and Lockett has been a good pick according to his ADP, but the guy going right next to him at Metcalf has been better. And we talk about the quarterback who was the great pick in Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert, who are both first or second year guys. Um, I guess you can make the argument with Patrick Mahomes, um, but obviously age isn't as much of a discussion when we talk about those younger guys, um, because obviously you're advocating for taking Kelsey, you're advocating for taking uh, Hopkins, Tyreek Hill. But it seems that many of those later breakouts were younger guys. And at tight end, Fant and Hawkinson have paid off when Hayden Hurst has not. Um, And many of the older guys, Evan Ingram, hasn't been as good as the younger guys have. And I think that when you're going for those breakout picks, you want to continue to target um, the younger guys. And I, I, I love that point because... In most sports, there are the occasional guys who break out late in their careers, but you are who you are after a couple years in the NFL, right? In most professional sports, you see a lot of late breakouts in baseball, but especially in like in basketball and football, you are who you are a lot of the time. And I think the perfect microcosm is exactly what you said was Metcalf versus Tyler Lockett. In our discussions early in the off uh, in the off season during drafting season, Mike, we were debating this and. You know, of course, one side was old, reliable Tyler Lockett, but I remember you and I both kind of saying, you know, he's had one season over 110 targets almost every the past couple years, 81 for 1,100, 1,200 yards and close to 10 touchdowns, hit or miss every week. And my argument was he he's 28 years old, right? He's going to be 27, 20. He is who he is and he's not going to be better. Whereas the unknown commodity in Metcalf where we trusted the metrics and trusted the process, quote unquote, um, not only has Metcalf been better, but he's been far more consistent than, and we thought he'd be more volatile. So I, yeah, I think that it was something like his rookie year, Metcalf had more targets than Lockett had had in any, but one season, I believe. Right. And so going with the younger guy who is unknown, because once we know, like, once you are who you are, there's only st- uh, there's only a small range of outcomes you can really count on. And with Metcalf, the the range of outcomes was so large that I think it was worth taking a gamble on him, even if he failed, because like we say, one team wins, right? You want to go for the upside. You don't want to go for third or fourth place. And Metcalf was the upside pick. Yeah. And I, I mean, it. It's it's not like there weren't signs. Uh, Metcalf had more receiving yards uh, in his first playoff game, I believe, than any rookie wide receiver ever. Like we saw what this guy was capable of, and we know that there's a predictable jump heading into year two. And I mean, we knew that it was a possibility that they changed their offense based on their personnel. Yeah, we were worried that Seattle was going to let Russ cook, but we can compare it to a similar situation. I hate to bring it back to AJ Brown like we do in every episode, but this <laughs> offseason, this offseason, the argument was there aren't the targets. Their offense is built around Derrick Henry. They're not going to give AJ Brown enough targets. He's not worth your fourth round pick. All the other guys in the fourth round are going to get more targets than AJ Brown is. And that just hasn't been the case. And thinking that they're not going to tailor their offense around a guy who maybe had the best, one of the best rookie wide receiver seasons ever and showed that 
he's a guy that you should be building your offense around and and thinking that this offseason the Titans weren't going to do something about that and they weren't going to funnel this guy the ball uh, just proved now with hindsight that it was the wrong argument. And I think that people should be able to see the tea leaves before and say, okay, AJ Brown is this good. Maybe I'm overweighing the target analysis and I should be thinking that maybe the Titans are going to change things because this guy is so good. Yeah. And targets are important, but I think it's important to look at the efficiency right and how good a guy is because you know, last week we complained about a lot about Stefan Diggs. He still had a really good year. This year, similar with DJ Moore. But DJ Moore is actually having like still a solid, solid year, even though he's not getting the targets that we need. In that, you know, maybe uh, 10 targets from Jamison Crowder isn't better than six targets for AJ Brown or DJ Moore. And so I think that's one, one lesson that we could have learned. And that's how I kind of want to end this episode is a um, couple things. Number one, who are the guys that we missed for foreseeable reasons, right? Not because of injury or whatever. The two that come to mind for me are Keenan Allen and Adam Thielen. Mike, where do you think we kind of went wrong? And do you still believe we have the right process for that? Okay, so I think there's, when we look at a Keenan Allen, both of them fit into the category where I think we're ageists. And maybe yeah. we pay a little bit too much attention to age. And we talk about all the, we talk about Metcalf. We talk about AJ Brown. We talk about these rookie wide receivers and all of these guys are young guys. And we're betting on kind of this breakout Thielen and Keenan Allen are both guys that have already broken out. They already showed us what good players they are, but we were more enamored with the younger guys who are more volatile, who potentially had more upside. Uh, Thielen, we knew had the opportunity, nothing changed in his quarterback and per- Perhaps we should have been on him a little bit more, but we thought maybe a DJ Moore or Juju, based on what they did at a younger age, had more upside in this season, and we wanted to embrace that volatility. Uh, It looks like now that was the wrong call. Was it foreseeable? Maybe for the reasons that I've outlined. When it comes to Keenan Allen, you can make a similar argument, but there was the unknown in the quarterback play. If Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback for longer, like Anthony Lynn may have preferred, maybe he doesn't have the season he's having. Um, We loved Keenan Allen always, and I think that I would have been on him more if Phillip Rivers was still the quarterback there, but we kind of thought that Tyrod was going to be there. And then I don't think anyone knew how good Herbert was. That's, I think that's, I don't know, pre-draft, pre, uh, I him stepping on the NFL field. Yeah. I wasn't thinking that Herbert was going to be anywhere near the player that he is now. And had we known, I think that Keenan Allen is a guy that certainly we should have been taking in the third round. Um, but the reality was that he was sliding on everybody's board and he was falling to a point that it was kind of consensus that everybody thought that he was going to be impacted by quarterback play. Um, but again, it goes back to talent and you want to bet on talent and that is Keenan Allen. And maybe even with Tyrod at quarterback, he's such a good player that he would have overcome it all. I mean, we've seen guys like Brandon Marshall or whoever overcome quarterback. I mean, Josh Gordon did it the most with Jason Campbell and whoever else played quarterback during his 14 game spectacular, uh, season. And I think that you want to bet on talent. And you want to bet on these guys who can overcome those situations. And perhaps Keenan Allen is at the point where he's still one of those guys that it doesn't matter whose quarterback he's going to produce. And I think we were looking at Keenan Allen. I think we learned something about Keenan Allen this year, right? 
we thought that maybe it was Philip Rivers who was making Keenan Allen look better. Might have been vice versa. I mean, without Keenan Allen, look what Philip Rivers is doing in Indianapolis. Nothing special, you know. Nothing. Whereas he's like he's a, he's one of the worst fantasy quarterbacks that you could uh, of a starting quarterback this year. So Keenan Allen, he's missing his Keenan Allen. He's missing his yeah. Keenan Allen. That's right. With and, Paris Campbell being out, things yeah, could have been different. It didn't have to be this way. <laughs> it didn't have to be like this, right? Um, so I, I think we had a miss on Keenan Allen there. And, you know, when reconciling that with the Metcalf talk, you know, with Walkett, we knew who he was. But with Keenan Allen and Thielen, we knew who they were. But who they were are potential top six wide receiver ones. So Yeah, and I think that it's not – like I don't want this to sound negative on Lockett. The the thing that was so difficult about this is Lockett is such a good player. If you look at yards per target, he's been arguably the best wide receiver in the league for like the last four or five years. So it's not that we don't like Lockett. The question is do you take – a sophomore wide receiver who we know is going to see a likely increase in market share versus a veteran who we kind of know who he is. And and I, kind of the thesis for me is in a fantasy league where one out of 12 teams win, you need to embrace the volatility and the riskiness and you need to take chances because if you have a locket and he ends up being what we thought he was, which is a great player, um, or you can have a Metcalf who maybe he ends up not being as good, or maybe he ends up being what he has been this year. Those are the kind of chances that you need to take in order to win fantasy leagues. Yeah, and I think I think I'm actually going to give you guys a pass on this one. You guys are harping on yourselves for not being on Keenan Allen, but at the same time, like look who he was going around and look who we were drafting in the Rangers: DK Metcalf and Terry McLaurin. So it's like even though we did miss out on Keenan Allen himself, we we're still getting guys who absolutely smash in the spots as well, to where they're still being league winners as well. And I think that's also what made it probably the toughest thing for us. Is like we're in this range, right? And we know like all these wide receivers, and we love this area of the range with the digs and the. Metcalf and the Terry McLaurin and the Lockett and like Woods and Cup AJ Brown. Portland like, Sutton. This was exactly like these were all these are all picks. And outside Chark. of Sutton who's gotten hurt and outside of Chark who's also been banged up, like like what maybe like Robert Woods? Like I feel feel like every single person like hasn't hurt your team in a sense. And most of them have actually been like pretty big assets towards your team in that range. So like um I think overall, like I think looking at it in hindsight. Um, this was fairly good process on, um, what we did in terms of this range. And I think like things that maybe like, at least for me personally, I think something that I could take away from this and be like, one of my biggest misses was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like being high on Chris Godwin's Mike Evans, not understanding the quarterback change, going from a guy like Jameis Winston, who we know throws a ton of picks, but he also threw for over 5,000 yards last year. And he's also the part of the reason. Exactly. It's, it's part of the reason why Chris Godwin and Mike Evans had such big uh, years, and it may have been um, a little bit too optimistic to expect that Tom Brady was going to be putting up the same numbers and also the adjustment that Godwin and Evans have to take with a new quarterback as well, even though we do like their talents. And I think like I think like in a, in a different um, sense, a guy like Godwin versus a guy like Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen, we've seen him have elite production for years, whereas Godwin, we've seen him be efficient for a couple of years, and he only had one massive year. Whereas if Godwin, or maybe it's like a Mike Evans thing, where Mike Evans actually has been putting up higher numbers. But there are things that, at the end of the day, it's like we can bank on them being right in one sense for Keenan Allen, but it's also different for Mike Evans because of the same reasons. The same reasons Keenan hit are the same reasons that Mike Evans missed, you know? So I think it's really interesting in that sense. And uh, segueing into the last thing I wanted to do was 
lessons we can take going forward. Let's do like one each because Dalton, that was uh, I think uh, that was a good way to transition into into this. Um, I'll what, go first. Go go first. I think that the lesson that I will take away from this year is I was never really considering the let's say top five quarterbacks where I always felt that production was replaceable later. And I think that it still has proven that it is with guys like Justin Herbert breaking out, being undrafted, you can pick him up off of waivers and he can end up being your quarterback. Tannehill, another guy who for the late round quarterbacks was a win, but missing out on a Kyler Murray and thinking you can always just replace it. I think that even though it's a quarterback, they still need more attention and they can still be a winner in, let's say, the early rounds, maybe middle rounds. Um, so I think that's a valuable takeaway, just not outright ignoring the quarterback position based on price. Yeah. Um, mine would be probably to, I, I, in the past, uh, Mike has been better at this than I have when we talk about if we're drafting a fantasy team and who we take. Um, I have always kind of fallen in love sometimes with the mid round RBs. Like I remember there were a few years where I was, Eddie Lace was going in the fourth round and I could not wait to snatch him up. Um, it, I think this year finally shut the door for me on mid second to like through fifth round for wide receiver, for, for running backs. Right. Like I, uh, every year it seems that there are so many, they fall because there are a few question marks around them. Either they're unproven or they're getting older. Um, this year really cemented the fact that mid, like low end RB1 or mid RB2 production is findable in the late rounds. And those rounds are for wide receivers and tight ends only. Yeah. Um, my, my biggest takeaway would probably be like the fact that uh, not to fade rookie wide receivers at all. And obviously this is a great class, but we even look at last year too. Like once we're, once we're getting into like the eighth, ninth rounds, like, and even beyond that, like, those are the guys that have the upside to hit and we touched on earlier. And I think fading that was obviously my biggest mistake this year in terms of missing out on guys like Justin Jefferson, even CD lamb when he was playing well, like that, that looked like a massive miss as well. Brandon, Ayuk, like that's one thing that I can take away next year and be like, Hey, like just because we know that rookies don't usually ball out the upside of them hitting and balling out is totally worth the draft price of at least finding out, for some of the top prospects and the guys that we really like um, because at the end of the day, the guys who do have great careers, um, a lot of them did end up balling out of the early part of the career. So if we do think that they're going to be that good of a player, why wouldn't we just expect them to do at least, at least be somewhat productive in their season to um, give us production? Yeah. Yeah. I think one other important takeaway is we're a lot worse at predicting what offenses are going to do than we think they are, than we think we are. Um, and I think that we would have assumed that we knew what Buffalo was doing. Obviously, they went really pass heavy. We could have assumed that Seattle was going to be run heavy um, and they've let Russ cook. The Chargers, everybody expected to transition to run heavy. And there's going to be a lot of carries for these guys. And in reality, now they're leaning on Herbert and throwing the ball all the time. So being overconfident in the assumptions of what an offense you're going to do can lead you into trouble and force you to miss out on a guy like Keenan Allen or a guy like Stefan Diggs or maybe fade Metcalf because you're worried about Seattle's passing attempts when in reality, your ability to predict what that offense is going to do is is not very good. 
yeah, so maybe stick with trust in kind of the individual player. I think that's a I think that's a good lesson. And you know, especially with someone like you know DJ Moore, you know, it, it was it kind of worked both ways for him because on one hand we thought we knew what the offense was going to look like and he'd be getting 150 targets. But on the other hand, he was such a good prospect that he actually hasn't killed you anyway. So I think that only reinforces the idea that focus on the player, not on the offense. One caveat would be maybe if you have Mitch Trubisky, a quarterback. But um, uh, other than that, I think it's a good idea to not think you know everything about what that offense is going to be. That is all we have for you today on the week 12 and a half episode of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Stay safe. Playoffs are approaching. Get excited. And thank you so much for listening.